Roaming on Campus, episode 9. In this episode, I'm joined with liberal arts student Olamide Ejisefe as we take up the mic and explore podcasting. Boom, we are recording. Roaming on Campus, episode 9. Welcome, welcome. As always, it's your host Kenny. And today, I hope I've got my A-game in check. Because today, I'm joined with a fellow podcaster. She studies liberal arts at the University of Warwick. It's from Chingford, London, Olamide Ejisefe. Welcome. Hello, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for coming. And how are you getting on? It's been 10 years since you last spoke. I know, right? It's crazy. We were just reminiscing about the good old Ainsley Wood days. I, f- I personally feel like we peaked when we were head boy and girl. So, um, you know, it's been pretty downhill since that. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm doing all right. 10 years on, <laughs> I feel like we're both in a pretty good position. So, yeah, mm. I'm excited to to be reunited. Fantastic. And yeah, it's quite interesting because, as you said, we were both head boy and head girl at our primary school and we took separate paths. But now it seems like we do quite a lot of similar things. So it's funny how (laughs) things do work out, you know. And yeah, it seems like you've been busy doing this uh, radio presenting. You've got your own podcast. You make all this cool video vlogging stuff. And I guess looking back, it's not that surprising because we did the Macbeth play in year six and you had the big role of Lady Macbeth. So it seems like what you do now is sort of a, a natural progression. And did you plan to head into these creative, communicative stuff you do today? Um, so actually, I think you'll find that it was called Macabre, Um because... That's right. Uh, <laughs> we had Abba music. Our music teacher had the wonderful idea. Do you remember his name? I can't remember his name. Mr. Williams. Yeah, Roy Williams. Oh, Mr. Williams. I, Always used I just to remember that he would shout all the oh time. Oh, my God. No, uh, like, one time he, in year he three, had issues. He fully went vexed at me, and I was scarred. I was literally Honestly, scarred for, like, one whole day. <laughs> very scary man. But um, he had the genius idea to um, make a play, well, remake the play of Macbeth with an ABBA soundtrack. So, um, <laughs> and yeah, it sounds it sounds as interesting as you think it was, but um, I don't know. I think my my position as Lady Macbeth pretty much saved the play. So, um, all right, oh, okay, <laughs> do with that info. So everyone will, else did but... a crappy job. <laughs> no, no, we didn't. But oh my god, do you remember? Someone was sitting at the the end of the stage on a chair and then they literally fell back and fell down the crack of the stage yeah do you remember that was happening? that during our rehearsals or was that the actual no, live play that was during a live performance of the play right. That's i think so that was bad. leah actually yeah yeah no oh, it was um it was, was it not leah? nikki 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 oh only oh, kayla oh yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah oh, yeah <laughs> Oh, so many. Sorry, sucked, I've gone in a the show absolute tangent. <laughs> I've I've gone in a tangent, but um, yeah, I think I I've always been a creative kid. I mean, I knew that I was always doing like singing and dancing and acting and stuff. But I'd say that my journey has been far from linear. Like, like mm. it's it's not been a case of I knew I wanted to do this from the offset, and now I'm here. Like, I thought I was going to do so many different things. Like, um. I don't know if you'll touch on it later, but obviously originally I went to uni to study drama and then Mm. I switched from doing that. And then I kind of like found myself just like falling into this radio world. So a a common theme with me is kind of like going with the flow. Like if people are giving me opportunities and I like to consider myself someone that's quite, um, quite good at picking up skills quite quickly especially in the creative sphere so when I've when I've been offered things or people have been like oh you'd be you'd be good at that I've always kind of been like oh okay and I try my hand at it and so far so good because um yeah people have been offering me a lot of good opportunities since 
That's really awesome. And it does seem like you're good at pretty much everything you try to do. So it must have been kind of tough just to like pick something, you know, be set Anyways, on you're something. Gonna give me, you're going to give me a big head. <laughs> you're going to give me a big head. Um, people always used to roast me for my head, like figuratively and literally. It sucked. <laughs> Primary school and secondary school, like independent people used to come up with that big head insult. And, you know, I've no idea how they got it. It was quite a um, significant head. But you know what? Full of knowledge. That's what I like to say. Full, Full of, of knowledge. knowledge. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So I guess in your first year, you started your first ever podcast, Spill the University with a capital T. So tell us a bit about that. As in like, first of all, what is it? And what was the motivation for it? Okay. So... Um, like I said, nothing that I do is linear. So originally I went to the University of Birmingham to study drama because I was like, um, throughout secondary school, I did like drama, media and English, um, much to my mother's dismay, but I was like, I'm gonna do it. Um, my dad didn't really mind. So he was like, do what you want. So I went Mm. on to Birmingham to study it. And then I just discovered that I really hated it. No banking and law for you. Yeah, no, it it just wasn't going to be. Um, so I, I really, really hated it. Like I really hated everything about my time. I hated the people, the place, the course, like it was just not cute. Um, but I had to undergo like a lot of, I don't know what to describe it as like mental turmoil, like as in it was quite a low point at Birmingham for me. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it pushed me so much because I kind of, in my life, don't like to give up on things. So the idea of even dropping out was kind of foreign to me until I had a friend on the course that dropped out. And I was like, oh, wait, you can do that. Like, I kind of forgot that it's not everyday suffer. Like, you can actually just stop. But obviously, Mm. it had been my dream for so long. So I was like, am I really just going to give it all in because I'm just having a bit of a crappy time? Um, but I would say, honestly, that's the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. Like, I didn't even tell my parents that I was like dropping out or whatever. I kind of just applied to Warwick without letting them know. And yeah, then, I feel um, like that takes bravery yeah. to make a step like dropping out, especially when you're so fixed on this idea of university, get a job, have a good life, etc. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was a really tough decision, but I think that's one reason that I would never say I regretted going to Birmingham because it taught me a lot about myself and it taught me that at the end of the day, like I'm in charge of my own happiness. So mm. if I'm not feeling something, like I, I'm well within my right to to change it because at the end of the day, this is my life. And it was the first time that I, I felt like, like that. I was like in control of that. Yeah, thank you. So um so yeah, so after suffering in Birmingham, oh my god. Um I was kind of like when I go to Warwick, I'm going to do everything that I've always wanted to do. So um mm. whilst I was at Birmingham, I had a friend with a radio show and she actually invited me on to her like Valentine's Day special where we kind of just chatted shit about boys um <laughs> as one of my favorite activities. As women do. Um <laughs> as women do rightly so um so yeah I kind of I liked it you know I I've always been a talker ever since I can remember love to chat shit so I was like I kind of like this like maybe maybe I'll do it when I get to Warwick so (laughs) when I got to um Warwick I was like I'm gonna I want to be in this scene I was like I'm gonna do anything I remember I was doing jujitsu and then I was doing radio and I was really just trying to push myself in every way that I could um I, yeah and then radio was a huge huge part of that and spill the university basically it was a podcast with me and some of my friends were all um so the people on the episodes varied but it was like circulated between like four or five of us and we're all black women specifically so whilst I was at Birmingham unfortunately I experienced some racism as well so I kind of noticed that as the only black person on my course as well at a Russell Group University, it's quite a unique experience to be like one of few black people in those kind of spaces. So going yeah. to Warwick, I really wanted to to start a conversation because I felt like people were experiencing this, but no one was really talking about it. Like I felt so alone in Birmingham. So when I came to Warwick, I was like, no, we're, we're, we're going to talk about this. 
And um, yeah. I get that. So you just felt unapologetically compelled to talk about the black experience, specifically the black women experience and just like, you know, mm-hmm. let it all out, spill the tea. Yeah, literally spill the tea. Um, I think, I don't know, as, as we were saying, it's such a specific, unique experience and being able to find black women in particular that wanted to talk openly about such things like I just felt it was quite cathartic for me but um Mm. it also was just like funny like if you if you listen to it a lot of the time we're just having banter like literally just because I feel like a lot of people forget that black people can just exist without the trauma and exist in spite of the trauma and thrive in these places as well so as much as we wanted to talk about the difficulties a lot like we just want to have fun most people just want to live a fun life you know um exactly and yeah I did see that fun come out inside you as well as your guests and do you feel that having multiple people in a podcast just allows it to flow a lot better as in it's less scripted you don't need to always have to say something because somebody else can jump right in yes so I think I mean obviously I was jumping into a whole new world so um I mean, at present, I don't do the podcast anymore. Like, I stopped doing it. Um, I don't know if you noticed, mm-hmm. the last episode was like a year ago. Um, I did notice. I've got questions about yeah. that later, but yeah. Okay. So, originally, it was kind of... um, I'd say it's kind of like... If we're going to put it bluntly, it was a cop-out because I wasn't ready to just be there by myself and talk. Like, So mm. I needed other people to, as you said, to fill gaps, but also to bring their own sparks of personality. Like the the girls that are on the podcast, like if you listen to it, they all have a different type of personality and we just happen to mesh so well together. Um, yeah. So originally the plan was to have different people on every week. But um, mm. as I said, I just got a bit too comfortable. So that's kind of why. And it's it was it was slightly just getting a bit too comfortable. But I was also realising what works. Like, it sounded good. And, like, we were entertaining. And there were some people that would go in-depth on certain topics. Like, it, it was a good balance. But I always felt like I needed to push myself a bit more. Because the more people you have on something like a podcast for example the the um more you need to rely on other people and yeah as it was just like a I suppose project, to counter that it, was, it does it was, depend yeah. on your aims as well because did you say have like a, a non-black audience in mind would you have been willing to invite other people of different ethnic backgrounds or would you have stuck to just like black women maybe maybe black males yeah so I I think when you're going on like a creative venture it's important to remember intention and why you started something so as we were saying like I've I've already given all the reasons that I started it so I kind of wanted to continue that um because when you're doing something that's creative as well you need to have a target audience in mind so my mm. specific target audience was black teens going to university and if you wanted to get even more specific going to Russell Group universities but um in doing so I find a lot of the time when you make a specific target audience people outside of that demographic will always always find it as well like I was yeah yeah so surprised yeah I was so surprised that um in doing the show I was having like white rugby lads tune in do you know what I mean and saying how Mm. much they liked it as well I feel like people will be kind of like morbidly interested in that kind of thing to be honest hearing people talk about those I guess negative experiences as well as some of the positives yeah a hundred percent so I did I did want to um kind of open it up a little bit to um men like when we did the valentine's day episode where we were just shitting on men as i said favorite activity we were like why don't we get some boys on so we can torture them too (laughs) and that would be really fun um but that never ended up happening um so why not did they not want to come on or did you not find anyone i think that was at a point where um because it's crazy how much this podcast kind of did for me in the very limited episodes that we did like it it wasn't 
like a crazy reception like there wasn't thousands of people listening but I remember posting that first episode and getting something like 400 listens on SoundCloud and I was like oh, that is crazy I'm feeling slightly jealous yeah how long did like, that take? exactly <laughs> like that was the first episode so I was like mm. this is absolutely crazy um yeah but I think it's it's also a confidence thing so when we were on SoundCloud I feel like loads of people know what SoundCloud is SoundCloud is um it's a familiar platform but um once it got to the stage where so you get three hours free on SoundCloud and then you mm-hmm. have to start paying and I am broke so I was going to like um so this is a crossroads had do I dip. invest in the, yeah I had I had to um because yeah. I just wasn't willing to invest at that point because it was so early three episodes in mm-hmm. so we moved over to Mixcloud which is if you're in the know is a very good platform for long form content but as right. as with anything when you when you put an unfamiliar platform out it's less likely for people to click on it do you know what I mean so but I also think it comes I'm sorry with, to um, burst your bubble doing anything with recently, longevity oh go on oh no go on I was just saying that with Mixcloud recently they've actually started making you have to pay in order to actually get like certain freedoms with listening to things like pausing rewinding all of that now is part of the premium package. So yeah, it sounds like Mixcloud is slowly becoming like SoundCloud too, in terms of being pricks. Oh no, they did you guys dirty. That is so rude. Yeah, exactly. Oh my, and this is such a big thing for creatives. Like, like if you're putting up this paywall, then you're only going to get certain people having access and being able to put out content. And then we get to the whole diversity conversation again, because if you're just having people that can afford to put out content, then you're going to get a certain type of... Uh, don't even start me on this debate. Sorry, your initial yeah, your but initial. I question. guess to their loss, somebody will wise up and, you know, they'll create some sort of free platform and they'll lose out. Yeah. One, one would hope. And hopefully they do that. But um, yeah, to your initial question, it the whole relying on people thing, because it was my baby, like the other girls, they didn't have a background in radio or anything. I was doing all the marketing. I was doing all of the um, editing and stuff like that. It was very much all on me. But um, so they didn't have quite the same passion for it. Don't get me wrong. I love the girls. Um, I talk to most of them <laughs> to this day. Um. <laughs> But it was just a case of like, I hate feeling like I'm forcing people to do things. And maybe this is being a woman and like feeling like you don't want to be bossy or whatever. But especially when it's my project for me to be like, we're recording this time, like come like blah, blah, blah. Like it just, I felt like I was forcing it and I hate feeling like I'm begging anything. And you Mm. know, black people, black people timing is a disease. Like it was just a lot. Okay, that's interesting. So that's why you think it may have been wiser to have different guests on each episode. Oh, a hundred percent. But at the same time, it wouldn't we wouldn't have had that same bond that you get from having a continuous cast on something. So if mm. you think of something like the Receipts podcast, I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't, I'm afraid. It's like a really famous check it out, it's really famous. Um, but it's the same three girls every single week. So you know their mm-hmm. bonds, you know their story, and you're and you're almost living their life with them and you want updates on what they've said in previous episodes. So that's mm. kind of what I was trying to replicate, but you need to all be on the same wavelength, as in we all want this, we all really want this. Whereas for us it was just kind of like this is like something that we just do sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I get that. But one thing I did like was your consistency, as in you kind of sort of kept the same views throughout. You never sold yourself out, even as you said, when you started to get all these extra viewers, 400 plus. So, how did you like bear in mind to not sell yourself out, knowing that loads of different people were now watching you? How, how do you keep that consistency and like not placate to people? you don't actually really care about in this context? 
Um, I think that's why it's so important to like just be authentically you. Like at the end of the day, I'm not gonna change from week to week if I'm just being who I am. Like I'm just a lamade. Like there's no, there's no way that it's gonna change. And in terms of the viewers, don't get me wrong. Like 400 on the first episode, that did not continue the whole way through. Like, oh it was... right, okay. It just oh yeah, no, 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 no. Um, not slightly. There were some episodes that were getting like double digits like low double digits and hmm. it's it's a thing with when you're trying to build you say about like a bad thing when currently those are my numbers right now and that no, made me happy <laughs> no, exactly like what i was gonna say is when you're building something you have to you have to have the same passion when you're getting a hundred views and when you're getting three views and i see that I, keeping that yeah, energy yeah and i know within myself i was getting quite disheartened when i'd spend hours and hours recording an episode and then it'd get 13 listens on the first day and i'd be like what's going on like it would it, it really would dishearten me but Mm. that's that once you get through that wall that's when you know that you want it enough and like you have to keep going like even coming back to my youtube channel now like with the podcast when you do a first episode of anything there's always going to be a buzz around it everyone's going to be sharing it you'll get loads of views but you have to maintain that audience because two months down the line is everyone from the first video going to be watching no Mm. so you have to yeah do it for yourself yeah Wise words. Do you feel like being as being a radio presenter before that helped you to somehow be aware of this, or did it all just come to you when you started podcasting? So yeah, I wasn't a radio presenter before. Actually, I podcasting was the first sort of audio stuff. All oh, right, done. right. That yeah. propelled you into more things. I see that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think for me, the podcast was, as I said, a little bit of a cop out because I needed. I felt like I needed other people. Don't get me wrong. I feel like I've. I'm. I'll be honest. I feel like singular person podcasts are very, very difficult, unless um like like what you're doing for example unless you get like different people each week but Mm. um if you think of a um kalechi who has a podcast called uh say your mind pod she is literally just on her own every week just talking for an hour and i think that's Mm -hmm. like such an extremely difficult skill to be able to entertain people on your own for an hour just you talking yeah Um, so that's where I, I so when I went over to radio, that's where I kind of got my autonomy because um it wasn't just like a straight up here's a topic we're talking for an hour. It's hi, this is me, but also here are some tracks that I like. Also, I'm gonna bring a friend in, we're gonna have a little chit chat. Also do you know mm. what I mean? So it yeah. A bit easier to let out the creative juices, just more options. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it, it just allows you to show a bit more of yourself rather than having yeah. to be like, because when you're when you're hosting a podcast as well, a lot of the time you are the host. So you need to get what everyone else is saying. Like you can't just be on what you're saying for five hours. Like I'd have mm. to be like, oh, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Kind of like. So it's not you. sometimes you're not the main event and it sounds so narcissistic, but like like a lot of these ventures you do want to be the main event because that's who people are going to remember and if you're kind of washed out into the background no one's going to care like no one's going to care yeah right and how did you sort of be okay with revealing sort of not so great experiences about yourself in your podcast like you mentioned in one episode when you spoke a lot about racism how when you're at the University of Birmingham, you had an incident whereby some racist youths, boys, were chanting racial slurs outside your bedroom. You complained about it and it wasn't properly dealt with. So how do you feel revealing those things to potentially billions of people? Maybe not that far, but... (laughs) Potentially millions, maybe a couple people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) how, How do I feel? So that episode was very difficult the thing is when you're recording a podcast it's like you and your friends in the studio but there just happens to be microphones there like that's the vibe that I wanted and I think that's the vibe that I achieved um Mm -hmm. but obviously talking about that sort of thing out just out loud is kind of difficult anyway 
especially when you're a person that that's like quite proud and like doesn't want to be seen as like vulnerable sometimes um I'm kind of over that now but I felt like because I was in a safe space with people that I knew in the studio who were also telling their own stories because like if you listen to that episode I was so surprised to hear some other people's stories like especially Helena who's like a biracial person so I didn't think it would have affected her as much like she's had way way worse than me so listening Mm. to someone like that be so open and honest like it's it's it was it was not even I don't even know how to describe it like of course I was going to be open because you want to reciprocate what the other person is giving you you know yeah but um that was that was that was an episode that I recorded and edited and that stayed on my computer for a very, very long time. I didn't want to post that at all. Okay. So you did yeah. kind of sleep on it for a while. Oh, for for a long while actually. I think I only posted it once, um so an, a racist incident happened to my brother whilst he was on um a school trip. Oh no. And I was just so angry and yeah. I was like, What what like what is the world coming like not what is it coming to because it's been that way, but just the frustration. It was just like, right, I'm releasing this now. Gonna things gonna aren't improving how you'd want. Yeah, a hundred percent. So that, yeah. Sometimes things in life just inspire you to 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 want to speak out about things. I think that's very apparent if you look at the current political climate. Um. So yeah. I, I otherwise I don't know if I would have honestly released it because I was kind of like oh this might be a bit of a Debbie down or like even though we did speak about things I always wanted to keep it light-hearted but I think an audience respects hey, sometimes you've got to that... spill the beans right? exactly exactly so and you'll find that people will um be very receptive to that because you're being honest like even if it is mm. a bit shit like and if you listen to that episode even though we're talking about something that's so difficult like racism there, there are light points in it. It's not like, oh, racism is bad. We're all going to blah, blah, blah. Like, there are points where we're laughing and there's points where we're like, well, telling this funny story or that funny story. But also, yeah, it's just, it's just about having um, range. Range. I think mm. that's really, really important. Yeah. So did you ever get any kind of negative responses, either from that episode or your podcast in general? Or do people know to keep their mouth shut if they've got nothing nice to say? I mean, I'll kick their ass. But um, <laughs> I think um, there was one time, um, Helena, who's on the show, she said that um, a girl on her lacrosse team had listened to it and she was like, she doesn't get it. Um, but that was also a white blonde girl. So you're not supposed to get it, love jog on do you know what I mean like it didn't yeah it was, exactly it was no like real water off my back and I didn't know her so I but I think criticism is like a huge huge thing that um is difficult especially when you're putting out creative stuff because it's like this is my baby like I've worked on it for so so long and I'm yeah. putting it out there just for you to shit on it like it it, it mm. doesn't feel great but yeah I think yeah. the worst thing is people who just like say something without much thought either like you spend all these hours yeah. and then this random guy comes in and says it's like one two three words doesn't know what he's talking about yeah yeah um but like i've learned like it's it sounds so cliche but once you start getting quote unquote haters um that's when you know you're doing something right because mm. that means you're at least people are listening yeah. right yeah and that means that you're stirring an emotion in someone or making them mm. think a certain way like on my YouTube, first dislike I got, I was like, yes, I got a dislike. It sounds weird, <laughs> but I was like, yeah, like every like every video that you go on will always Stirring have some people. dislikes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it just means that people are watching. I'd rather have a yeah. dislike and have views than have no views. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, mm. yeah. I fully get that. To be fair, your current YouTube channel, which I'll comment to later, from what I've seen, has zero dislikes in every video. And it's got like 73 to 100 likes. And that seems pretty impressive, you know, that ratio, you know, like clearly people don't dislike you that much. Yeah. No, I, I think every video has like one dislike. After it's up for a while. Yeah. Um, mm. So, I don't Fair. really care. I had... <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, care. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I did have one question for you. So 
in one of your yeah. episodes, you spoke about the Warwick group chat incident where a bunch of white boys, white men, mm. had a WhatsApp group chat and they were making mm-hmm. these racist jokes that's uh, with inverted quotes. And they also made sort of like rape threats as well. Whether they were serious or not serious is unknown. Mm-hmm. But the point is they were excluded for 10 years and then that was reduced to just one year. And I remember you complaining how you just wanted these people to be punished severely and really just feel the full force of whatever extent that they could be punished. And you're saying that these people shouldn't be in positions of power because they'll continue to perpetuate the systems going on, institutional racism, that sort of thing. So my, my question to you is, what should happen to racist people, people that are caught for racism? Should they be left jobless or should they be given like a chance yeah there's a there's a question for you bloody hell kenny um (laughs) okay um so i think as of recent my answer is probably different to what i would have said a year ago because Mm -hmm. um i feel like in the current climate that we're in cancel culture is very rife um so if you're on a platform such as twitter or whatever it's very easy for one day someone to just find something that you did 10 years ago and that's the end of your life you know what i mean Mm. so um and it's like it's very ruthless like it can happen to anyone um most recently a a famous youtuber nella rose i don't know if you know of her i haven't no Okay, so she got cancelled. She's well, um do explain. a black woman. She got cancelled. Yeah. So she's um a black YouTuber. She's, I think she's like 23, 24. I don't know exactly how old she is. Um, mm-hmm. But she was basically some old tweets of hers resurfaced from years ago where she was kind of like shitting on black girls. Um, and because her platform is a lot about um female empowerment and stuff like that, like she got, dragged on the tl like it was so severe like people were bringing her her dead mom and her sadly like late father into the um situation like people were yeah people were ruthless and it was a trend of people cancelling people yet what really bugs me is the the lack of consistency so Mm. nella was treated so disgustingly but there were so many black rappers that were found to also have tweets that were um, shitting on black women for example and then it was kind of like oh my god you shouldn't have done that cancelled and then like 12 hours later they're tweeting like nothing happened whereas like Mm -hmm. with someone like nella it was so unbelievably relentless so when we're talking about cancelling people it's you'll find that it's a lot easier for women to be cancelled and then especially a lot easier for black women to be cancelled. So okay. go, taking that and going back to your original question of what happens with racists, if something happened 10 years ago, for example, that's not to say that it's acceptable. But what I'm interested in is what is that person doing today? What, what yeah. are they doing within their daily lives? Because you'll find a lot of people that said dumb shit 10 years ago and obviously there's a difference between dumb shit and actual racism racism never acceptable i don't care how old you are but Mm. you'll find that there's people today that would be horrified by what they said back then and actively in their life are like are actively against that um so people that are actively against him in situations like that i feel like apologies should be taken into consideration now i can never say um that someone should accept someone's apology, especially if it's not directed at me. For example, if there was someone that made a a tweet about um, gay people, for example, I I can't now go and say, oh, they've apologised, you should accept it, because that doesn't affect me personally. But Mm -hmm. I think there's context, because if you have someone that tweeted 10 years ago saying the N-word and saying all this, and to this current day, they're still a piece of shit, you should you should be on the streets like you should have no food no home like as far as i'm concerned you're done but you'll find that that, 
especially when it's men and men in powerful situations, they can do that stuff and then they just continue to live their lives. So I really Mm. hate the whole picking and choosing thing. Like if you're going to cancel people, stay consistent or don't do it at all. So with regards to, yeah, with regards to them, it really depends on what they're doing now. And I, if, if people don't forgive you, that's, I can't say anything because you did it. Like you, like, I'm sorry, but you did. Okay. But you're in favour for something like rehabilitation. You don't think like a once a racist, always a racist necessarily applies all the time? Not at all. I feel like um, education is so, so important because I'm sure there are things that even you and I thought 10 years ago that are not okay today. I know certainly yeah, that I've thought things so. that are not okay today. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So some people are just more receptive to education. Some people can't be saved. Some people are just done out here like they're just stupid like um but there are people that can genuinely learn and become like proactive members of society so you know it's it's that's why it's so difficult there's no one cut rule Mm. yeah seems pretty nuanced i mean do you think we could ever be in a kind of post-racial society where it's just a thing of the past no and never no. I guess Never. a better question. What would a post-racial society look like to you? Well, first of all, everyone would have to be invisible because that's the only way <laughs> that we're going to invisible, <laughs> sure. Yeah. A post-racial a Harry Potter society. Cloak. Yeah, mm-hmm. literally. Because this whole idea of post-racial... I'm not going to lie. It's just the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Like, as in... Um, I was doing a module called Utopias actually and if you think about all even like the sci-fi utopia films and stuff like that when you think about them a lot of them are white based um, those are the main characters and that's it's just kind of like even in a whole sci-fi new sort of world that is the base of what you can imagine that is the limitations of our imagination so if mm-hmm. you were to um, put a black person in that futuristic fake world like this is a completely fake world even watching that as a viewer the very like sight of black skin that has um that has years of what's the word I'm looking for? yeah so even even the sight of black skin in a film for example that has a lot of semiotic value so you looking at black skin, like whether you like it or not, there are stereotypes that you've been taught your whole life that you're considering. There is historical yeah. context that you're considering. So when I say mm-hmm. everyone has to be invisible, it's because literally even having a f- film, even if it's set on Mars in the future and you see a black person and a white person, there are things that society has taught you about those two different people. So there's, there's you'll get no those different connotations. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Different connotations just by the sight of skin. So that's why I don't mm. think it's going to be a thing. I mean, with a lot of more like um, mixed race people now, I think that's the only post race way it could be. Like if everyone was just mixed. But even mm. then, I have so much. Faith. Or you may get something like Brazil, which is kind of mixed, but still has a bit of a racial hierarchy. Things like colorism and you still get white people and black people even in a mixed society. I was literally going to say that, like, knowing our world, even if everyone was mixed, we'd find a new way to divide. Oh, your yeah. eyes are green and mine are blue. <laughs> like, we're just... We're actually just done out here. Um, And a country like Brazil has some of the worst race issues in the world. Black people are killed there every, what? I think it was three hours? Like, it's... it's right. It's quite disheartening. Yeah. Um, yeah, but... Yeah, there's no yeah. post-race, mate. We're just going to have to start again. I get that. I, think, right, I feel like the one world. solution would just be to get rid of what it means to be human. Like, we just get these biological or cybernetic enhancements and become robots or live in a <laughs> matrix or something. What do you think? Oh, okay. I'm deadly serious. Um, yeah, yeah, just like replace our human parts, just replace our very biology and just cease to be what we'd consider to be human. I feel that would get rid of racism just because you would no longer have that sort of like a human vessel Mm. are all these robots built the same hmm i'd assume so as in they'd be built to the highest quality 
as in when I'm saying that as in are we all the same height are we all made of the same material are we all the same I guess color? it would be up to you hmm yeah oh. I suppose it would be at a point where it just wouldn't matter like you wouldn't care about what color this robot is just because you know he can change it he can change the color he, he can change the height mm. unlike these immutable characteristics which we have now Nah, I think I think as soon as you get some diversity in there, as in this robot can be this tall, that one can be that small, you're gonna run mm-hmm. into exactly the same issues. As humans, we're okay. so um, susceptible to categories. Like mm-hmm. we 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 love being able to just tick a box and put someone in a box, like filling out a form. I am black British. I am straight, bi, gay. Do you know what I mean? So, like mm. as humans, we we would always always find ways to separate. So unless all of the robots are exactly the same, have exactly the same build, exactly the same um software, I guess <laughs> not not brain software, because even sure. once you yeah. have um cognitive dissonance once you have difference of minds then you can still find another way to separate oh mm. we'll separate those robots that think like this and those robots that think like that kennyus we're fucked we're literally I fucked <laughs> so you don't think there is a way out of discrimination ever as long as humans exist in some shape or form sadly not um i think Mm. it can certainly get better obviously there have been periods of time where it's been a lot worse and periods of time where it's been a lot um i mean better um but at the same time i think that comes with actively wanting to educate yourself because if Mm -hmm. you're aware of bias you're more able to overcome it i wouldn't say it's ever like you're ever completely able to overcome it but if you see a black lad walking down the street in a hoodie and you're scared you can um consciously be like to yourself why am I scared oh it's because I've been taught that I should be fearful of that and then you can kind of put yourself at ease and teach yourself to unlearn that because I feel Mm. like in life uh, there's a lot of unlearning that needs to be done so yeah okay so you describe it more like the speed of light Something which we can approach, never fully reach, but things can improve anyway. 100%, yeah. Mm. Like Fair enough. That, yeah. I, yeah. On a lighter note, you have a new YouTube channel called Lamy Live, which is specifically meant for fine, ambitious and talented women. So <laughs> tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've watched and listened to it. <laughs> Yeah, so I have a YouTube channel now. Um, I never thought I'd say those words, honestly. A couple years ago, I would have been like, a YouTube channel, no way. Um, But I feel like the industry has just changed so much to where that's, like, a lot more acceptable. Um, Mm -hmm. So, basically, I always kind of wanted to have a YouTube channel, but I was afraid that it would be lame or whatever. Um, Yeah. And... So I made the channel, I made it like last December. So I thought about it for a while and then I actually made the account. I was like, okay, this is the step. I made it last mm. November, December. And then I didn't post anything on it because I just didn't, <laughs> you know. Um, and then coronavirus happened. And then I was like, I kind of have no excuse now. Like there's literally nothing yeah. else to do. Like I have to post. Um, and I didn't know what to post. But with me, this whole influencer culture, like it, doesn't really appeal to me because it seems very two-dimensional like it's like oh my god click my discount code like I just don't give a fuck um so I wanted to make sure that what I was making had a message or it had a purpose it wasn't just me pointless pointlessly just posting up challenges and stuff like that which don't get me wrong I've watched those videos like they're entertaining but I knew within myself I would just feel kind of crappy just just as I said like posting pointless things so I came up with the fat girls club so it was kind of like you know me I'm a I'm a I'm a mid-sized girl size um 14 (laughs) 16 sometimes you never know um (laughs) so it was kind of like a thing of that was my USP that's what I wanted to bring I wanted to instill confidence in other girls that um Mm -hmm. might look like me might look different might be built different um and I wanted everyone to just have a collective like safe space like as I was mentioning before the um YouTuber Nella Rose she's a a plus size dark skinned black girl and a lot of people don't realize that there's just not a lot of 
positive representation of us. So yeah. I wanted to be one of those people because you're supposed to be the change that you want to see in the world, right? So I was like, mm. I'm going to make it. Um, so, yeah, so I called it the Fat Girls Club, but that was, it's basically an anagram for fine, ambitious and talented. So um, I wanted it to be for all girls, not just girls that are quote unquote fat, you know? Um, sure. So, yeah, so I think that was kind of my anchor to keep me to keep me level headed. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. I'm doing it for female empowerment. I'm doing it so people feel more confident. So even though I'll do like funny videos or a vlog or something like that, at the end of the day, I always want people to come away with watching my video having stirred in motion, whether that's mm. laughter, whether that's confidence, whether that's do you know what I mean? So I just want I wanted to create something that people felt something. I think that's really cool. And in one of the videos, you described that you came up with this sort of mantra in order to increase your confidence, which is kind of like a fake it till you make it. And you described how in secondary school, you'd walk through the hallways and whenever you felt some anxiety, you'd whisper under your breath, I'm a bad bitch. I'm a bad bitch. And you said it actually worked. <laughs> um. Yes, my my mantra. Um. So yeah, secondary school wasn't great for me, especially, okay, towards the end it was it was good, but like early years, like seven, eight, nine, maybe a bit of ten as well. It Quite a lot of it, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. I would get kind of like, oh, here we go to the pride thing. Back then I would never say that I was bullied. I'd be like, no, because I give my own back, blah, blah, blah. I was straight up bullied by like different groups of people. Yeah, um, I feel sometimes it's under the guise of just joking, banter, when no, it's actually bullying. Yeah, yeah, especially when it's like relentless, like all the time. And it wasn't, it wasn't just like one group of people. There'd be people in my year that would just give me a hard time whenever I saw them. But there were also people in years above that would give me a hard time when I saw. Do you know what I mean? So it was just kind of like a constant, just um, dread. Um, also having um body image issues at that age being just like a fat dark skin kid in a school where skinny white girls were the archetype and like there was hardly anyone that looked like me um so I went to a grammar school um yeah and there was like obviously different class issues as well being at school with really rich kids that would go on the ski trips and stuff like that and me not being able to kind of navigate that circle and also just not having like a lot of friends like there there were groups of like friendship groups that I wanted to be part of so so badly and I would try my best to kind of like infiltrate them and I, I was just always so confused as to why like why like why why don't you want me in your group sort of thing um yeah so yeah it was it it wasn't great um and I just get this like overwhelming anxiety to the point where it's like oh if I leave this room now someone's gonna be there they're gonna give me a hard time they're gonna look at me and be like blah 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 so I just have to like as I said fake it till you make it whispering I'm a bad bitch I'm a bad bitch I'm a bad bitch if I'm feeling a certain type of way nowadays I'll even do it because you just have to you just have to as I said you have to train yourself you have to unlearn everything that society has taught you society and the people around me have taught me oh you're a piece of shit you're ugly or this or that so I'm gonna tell myself I'm a bad bitch (laughs) as I'm walking Mm. down the hall and I'm gonna learn it did you see the results a hundred percent, Kenny. Is, as I sit in front of you, I'm yeah, a bad no, bitch. One hundred percent. I like that. And yeah, I feel like sometimes you've got to have these mantras or sayings, sayings to yourself in order to, no- to notice change. Because as I was saying to you earlier, before we started recording, I did have problems with stuttering as a younger child. I struggled with it. It made me feel bad. So things I do now, like pushing my comfort zones and just like not avoiding speaking, I do it with the mindset that I am great. What I do is great. It's not easy to to do what I do, to go on a podcast, having to speak sometimes, even having to go through a starter. So yeah, I think just having that sort of solid mindset that you are this soldier, a warrior, in fact, does help. No, I I really rate that. I 
as as we said we haven't seen each other for 10 years but like I can really see your personal development and I think it's so easy to just see the end product knowing mm. that it took a hell of a long time to get here yeah so, yeah <laughs> it took a yeah. while I applaud you 10 for years yeah yeah thank you and I guess what is next for you it seems like you're on to some great things so what have you got planned with your YouTube stuff or any other things in general that is a great question. Um, I wish I knew the answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> as we said before, I'm kind of like a go with the flow person. So um, in terms of like work, um, I was lucky enough to, I need to stop saying lucky enough. Like I did the graft. I, I did an internship at BBC Radio last summer and that was obviously amazing. And it's it's opened a lot of doors for me um I've also done some like experience mm. at MTV for example so nice nice I definitely know that I'm gonna stay in this entertainment realm um in what capacity I'm not really sure yet I think at the moment my dream I think because we don't actually know until we achieve it and we're like oh yeah this is what I wanted at the yeah. moment I think I'd love to do documentaries because mm just just traveling the world and just being able to talk as well and just be yourself and like meeting new people as you can tell from this episode I love talking so I feel like that would 100 percent <laughs> that would just that would just be really cool um but yeah as I, I just want to I don't know because obviously I still have past loves as well like I still really love acting I still want to explore that in some capacity one day um, I love filmmaking as well. Like, I I just love making stuff. You know, um, mm. that makes people feel anything creative, essentially. Yeah, but it's it's hard to kind of. Um, I don't want to be. What is it? Jack of all trades, master of none. I I don't want to mm -hmm. fall into that trap. So I think as I go down the line, it might get a bit more linear. But I'm also mm -hmm. so open to just kind of jumping around because life is so short. I just want to like, why not? Like literally, why not? Um, mm. So yeah, hopefully something good. What yeah. about you? Well, I do hope you make a success out of the things you do. And what about me? I mean, my current plan now is once I graduate, I'll become a software engineer and, you know, just do what my degree is training me to do. But I feel like with this podcast and just like not being afraid to speak anymore, anything really, as in, I do like the sound of radio, so perhaps we could get talking afterwards and I could find out more <laughs> about how to pivot into that. You know, just do anything speaking related just because it's fun and it is my thing. Nice. Nice. That's exciting. Thank you. And in the meantime, where can people find your stuff, the things you have made? Amazing. So um, if you want to check out Spill the University, it's still on Mixcloud. Um, yeah, check out the old episodes if you want. I feel like doing it for a year as well, it was kind of like, I felt like it was a nice ending because it was my gift to first years. It was how to survive mm. first year, basically. <laughs> um, so if You described you're... it as a Ned's Declassified School Survival. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, if you're going into uni, definitely check that out. Um, f uh, what else? Yes, you can follow me on Instagram, of course. It is lamy.live. That is L-A-M-I dot live. You can also follow me on Twitter. It's lamy underscore live. And of course, you can find me on my YouTube channel, which is also lamy live. Fantastic. Alamde Jisufi, thank you for coming and on campus. Thank you for having me.